welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 141 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 24th of January 2016, entitled The Genesis Account, Part 18. And the Bible readings are taken from Jude, verse 1 to 4, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 20 and 21. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Shortest book in the Bible, just before the book of Revelation, next to the last book. Hold your finger there and turn back a few pages to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We'll be reading verses 20 and 21. Finger there. Go to the very first verse in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. We're going to begin with the Jude, and we'll read the first four verses of, of Jude. And then we'll read Genesis 1.1. And then followed by 1 Timothy chapter 6. I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's precious and holy word this morning. First of all, from Jude, verses 1 to 4. Jude, the servant of Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord, Jesus Christ. Then if we turn back to the very first verse in your Bibles in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, the Bible simply says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 20 and 21, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding vain, profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. Father, we thank you this morning that we have your word before us. Lord, we thank you that we have your spirit within us. Father, we thank you that as we call upon you today that we can do so in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that you will hear and answer our prayers. Lord, we are in great need here today. Lord, we need not man's wisdom. We need not man's stories. We need not man's sciences but we do need to hear from you, Almighty God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. I pray, Lord, that as we gather here today and you look on the inside and you know the hearts of each individual, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, Lord. Help us not just to hear the words of man in our ears, but help us to know your voice within. For it's in Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. For those of you that have not been with us for quite some time. 
be interesting. I need to look back on the calendar, but probably, I don't know, four years ago or so, we maybe even longer than that, might have been five years, we began a series on contending for the faith. And, and of course, we use these passages here in Jude and the rest of this book as that which, if you would, our springboard that as this was being written, it was being written to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. That is you today if you are a born-again child of God. And those that belong to the Lord here have been called upon to contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Literally, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. We are to contend for that. And of course, then over the years, we've been looking at what exactly is it that we as believers are to contend for because we believe with all of our heart that there are what we often would refer to as fundamentals of the Christian faith that there can be no movement on. There can be no compromise on. If you're part of the faith, you must believe and stand upon those things uh, or it's some of the faith. There are also many things that are important to us as a church, if we are to be in one heart and one mind, one accord as we come together. That doesn't mean that all those other churches that believe something slightly different doesn't mean that they are inferior. It doesn't mean that somehow we've got to straighten them out. It doesn't mean that we're more holy and special than they are. It doesn't mean that they're heretics, but it does mean that they're different. But we know that when we come together, that we have to come together in one mind, one heart, and one accord. So there are things that are important to us as a local church that we stand upon, but they are not fundamental to the Christian faith. Those others are just as much Christians as we are, even though they may see some of those things differently. And then even within a congregation, there are things that are important to us as individuals. There are many things in the Christian faith in which we have choices to make. Well, over the years, and I forget now how many of them, there's, there's way, way over 100 sermons online. We'll look to see when that begins and, and come back to it. We've covered some of those fundamentals of the faith and then gone on from that to cover on those fundamentals some of those things that are important to us. Last July, July of 2014, a year and a half ago, we began to look at the book of Genesis, the Genesis account. We said that there are things about the Genesis account that are fundamental to the Christian faith. You can't, on the one hand, say I'm part of the Christian faith and not accept some of those truths. It's just not possible. But on the other hand, there are things there that we hold to that are important to us. And we've looked at a lot of those things, and I'm going to try to do this morning because it's important to all of us for some reason or another. As we read in the book of Jude, he told us that we were to contend for this. Why? He says, because there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, they're taking the very grace of God, his grace towards us, his undeserved merit towards us. 
and turned it into filling their own selfish desires and lust. And saying, oh, it's okay because God is a loving and a gracious God. No, it's not okay. But we are to contend because he says there are those that have, first of all, crept in unawares even into and amongst the congregation of God's people. And it's not just for that reason that we need to contend for the faith. We find that as Paul was writing to young Timothy here in our reading that we, that we read from, from 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6, he told him to keep that which was committed to his trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Not only is there those that have crept in unawares within the congregation, but there is the forces from without. And he's warning young Timothy here, avoid all those profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called. Do you know that the word science, I've told you before, comes from the same word as our word knowledge. They both come from the same root. He's saying there are all those out there that, that call what they have science. They call it knowledge, but it's not really so. It's falsely called that. And that some believers have actually erred from the faith because of those outside influences of those that have said this is knowledge when it really isn't knowledge at all because it goes contrary to the knowledge that God has given us. So keeping those in things in mind, what I'm going to attempt to do today, and I would only say to you, you must keep in mind that there is no way I can go back and preach all the past, but I know normally what I'm doing today would have been just a few weeks on down the line because there's just a few more things that we want to finish off in Genesis before we bring it to an end and kind of review and bring all those things together. But because that we have a number of folks that have not been here for the early ones and because that it's been a while since we were in the book of Genesis because God has took us in other directions, I'm going to do the review now and then I'm going to tack those things on to the end. So for you, hopefully that will be a help to you. For those that maybe listen to these online in, in the order that they're coming, the review is going to come a little bit early for them because they're listening to one after the other after the other possibly. But our main purpose is for what we're doing here today. So as we look here today, what I'm going to attempt to do is harder for me than starting from scratch almost. I'm going to try to take about the first four messages that we preached in this, and I want to try to pull those together into a shell for us here today so that you can understand. Now understand, I am going to make a lot of statements that I don't have time again, unless you want to spend the next five or six hours here, I don't have time to expand upon, to explain. I would encourage you to go back to July and August of 2014 if you want to hear these sermons in their fullness with all of the explanations that go with them. So hopefully here today, if you've heard them, it will bring back to mind many of those things that we have discussed to help bring all of these things together. And if you haven't, I hope that it's something that maybe will encourage you to go and listen to them in full and to grasp and understand all that is here and the importance of it. As Christians, remember the warning to us is because of those that have come in amongst us and for those amongst us that have erred because of the outside influences. 
We said when we began with the book of Genesis that really one of the questions that man has tried to answer for years upon years is, where did we come from? How did all of this begin? And of course, where are we going? How's it going to finish in the end? Well, of course, we know and we've looked at the fact that there are really two primary paths of thought that we can follow in that, and one is what is called evolution in man sciences, and the other is creation that we have read about this morning when the Word of God says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The theory of evolution is one of the best-known scientific theories around. What does it mean? Well, taken straight from Encyclopedia Britannica, it says evolution is a theory in biology postulating that the various types of plants, animals, and other living things on earth have their origin in other pre-existing types and that the distinguishable differences are due to modifications in successive generations. The theory of evolution is one of the fundamental keystones of modern biological theory. Wow. So basically, they're saying that the theory of evolution, it gets its name that we've all evolved from some other living thing. All the way over, the living things on earth, it says, have their origin in other pre-existing types. Well, that's interesting. So my question there is, if our origin is in other pre-existing types, where did those other pre-existing types come from? You see, in order for the principles of mutation and natural selection and all those things that go along with the theory of evolution to work, they have to have living things already to work on. That's what evolves. That's what changes. Life has got to exist before it can start diversifying. Life itself had to come from somewhere. The theory of evolution proposes that it arose spontaneously of itself, out of these inert chemicals that were laying there of the planet Earth perhaps some four billion years ago. Now, speaking in general terms, folks, life can only have come from one of two possible places. Spontaneous creation. You see, some people say, oh, I don't believe in creation. Everybody has to believe in creation of some type. They have to believe that life came from somewhere. It's either spontaneous creation, where that all these random chemicals just created the first living cell all on their own, folks. That's it in a nutshell. Or supernatural creation, spontaneous on its own, or some outside force working on it that planned it and created that life. You know... There's all kind of weird things out there about it. First came here from some aliens from another galaxy out there somewhere and all this. Well, I'd say it don't really matter. <laughs> if you want to have your aliens bringing that life to this planet in the first place, well, those aliens had to come from somewhere and even their life had to be created somehow, somewhere out there. How did life begin? What an answer. What a question. Well, if we believe in spontaneous creation, we have to start with where did the universe come from? You see, life cannot exist unless it has somewhere to exist. Even with evolution, it came from those things that were there. So 
even with, with spontaneous creation, life had to exist somewhere. Now, may I read this to you? Because if you have children in school, in this country and most countries of the world follow the same suit, but this is straight, taken straightly from what they're taught with their GCSEs in school, that the foremost theory of the origin of the universe is the Big Bang Theory. It suggests that the universe began several billion years ago in an explosion that caused it to expand and to continue expanding. Now, some of the evidence for the Big Bang comes from studying the red shift of light received from distant galaxies. Telescopes allow us to observe the universe, the Big Bang. Scientists have gathered a lot of evidence and information about the universe. They have used their observations to develop a theory called the Big Bang. The theory states that originally all the matter in the universe was concentrated into a single incredibly tiny point. This began to enlarge rapidly in a hot explosion and it is still expanding today. The explosion is called the Big Bang and happened about 13.7, 13.8 billion years ago. The fact is that even the Big Bang theory, that's what they're being taught, but it still does not even address the beginning or creation of the universe. They have to have something to start with. You know, it doesn't even begin to address where the original matter came from. It doesn't address anything prior to that Big Bang. So would you allow me to summarize that for you? We've got this Big Bang that came from an incredibly tiny and dense concentration of matter that nobody knows where it came from. With all this matter suddenly, although nobody knows why, expanding from somewhere, wherever it was, around 10 billion years ago until about four and a half billion years ago, when some of it cooled down enough to form our planet Earth and others, and of course everything still expanding, with many thinking that about 70 billion years in the future it's going to happen all over again, and everything is going to start again. So they're saying that that life originated three and a half billion years ago in the form of some prime ordeal organisms that were relatively simple and very small, that all living things, all life that as we know it, evolved from those lowly beginnings. Now one thing that's interesting about all that evidence they were talking about is that they say that, well, 99.9% of those species are already extinct because they can't see any of it. They don't have any of it. So they have to make their theory, but then they have to say that 99.9 odd percent of that is already extinct. It's not there for us to prove it. The origin of life or prebiotic evolution as they call it means the spontaneous generation of life in what they call a prime ordeal soup containing small organic molecules in salt water. In the prime ordeal soup of the early seas, 
Organic molecules concentrated, formed more complex molecules, and became simple cells from which we have life today. Now, we covered a lot more things on that if you want to go back and listen to the sermon. I don't have time to go there. But I'm just saying I am standing here today and I'm declaring if I've got breath in my body, if I, that is exactly what Paul was writing to Timothy about, this so-called science that is falsely so-called. It doesn't even make sense. They can't even go there themselves. They can't prove any of it. They can't show any of it. And yet they teach it as fact. And many people never question it. They never study it enough to even wonder, is it true or isn't it? We've got to realize, and you better realize, I realize that a vast majority of the world out there today, if they heard me say that I didn't believe in their brown muck and their prime ordeal soup and all their cosmic stuff that happened out of nothing, they're going to think I'm just ignorant, literate, because even though they don't have any proof of it, it's what they've been told that smart people believe. And so therefore, you're not very smart if you believe anything different. What I found interesting, though, there's an awful lot of people out there that given the opportunity to examine it and to look at it, the truth is, is that there's an awful lot of minds that are willing to look at a different creation. I'm saying to you that you have to recognize life came from, was it spontaneous over billions of years that nobody could see, that nobody can prove that's 99.9% extinct? And it just happened with no plans, no, no body that had any influence over it whatsoever. And that all the life and everything that we see today came from that? Or you can believe in supernatural creation. Keep that which is committed to thy trust. Timothy, keep that which is committed to your trust. True knowledge. God's knowledge. Avoid all those profane and vain babblings. Oh, they can rant on and on and on and on about it. I've only given you just a tiny glimpse of the things you can find about it. All those oppositions of science, falsely so-called, they say that it's knowledge, they say that it's what happened, and yet it's just not true. But he says because of it, some have erred from the faith. There are even many today at one time, would have stood strong on God's knowledge, God's word, that no longer do so. You see, Genesis, the book of Genesis, Genesis means beginnings, origins, the book of beginnings, the book of origins. And that's what it is. That's what we have before. It is the book of beginnings that God himself, the creator of all, has given us. We find that I believe we can honestly say that for the Christian faith, the book of Genesis is foundational. And this is what we've gone to look at is that it's foundational to so many different proofs. The psalmist said in Psalm 11, 3, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundations are destroyed, we have no hope. I'm not going to go back and give you the whole illustration this morning, but... The world's tallest building 
Burj Khalifa in Dubai. We went through all the things, all the records that that broke and everything that was there. But the fact is, is that one of the most amazing things is even though it stands that high in the air, that it extends 164 feet deep into the ground just for the foundation that it sets upon 120,000 tons of concrete to build the foundation for it. It took a year just to build the foundation before anything could rise up that the eyes could see. If the foundation is not solid, that which is built upon it will never, ever stand Genesis is the book of origins. It is the book of beginnings. And it is such as the beginning of the foundation of much that will follow in God's word. Many great doctrines of scripture have their beginning, their foundation in the book of Genesis. The Genesis account is vital to correctly understanding God's word and correctly understanding where many of those scriptural truths begin. That certainly includes our beginning as human beings. But it's also the beginning of the foundation for much more that deals with our spiritual being. I want us to see why the Genesis account is so important, so foundational to our Christian faith and we began there in our study with looking at the, the fact that it's really, it's really the Genesis account that is the very foundation for the authority of God's Word. God's Word is either authoritative or it's not. You see, if we are to believe in the authority of God's Word, then it stands to reason that we must accept the Genesis account as literal truth as it is written, as God has given it to us. Not as man wants it to read, not as man supposes that it should read, not as man can take it and mold it into his understanding, as it is. We've said that way, way back when we first began our study on contending for the faith, we said that the basis of our faith is the inspired Word of God. If we don't start with that, our faith has nothing to stand upon. If we truly believe in the authority of God's Word, we must accept it for the way that God has given it to us as a revelation directly from God. And we looked at all these things. We believe it's inspired and inerrant and infallible, indestructible, indisputable, inclusive in all things. We accept the Genesis account as a revelation directly from God, giving us an accurate and reliable account of the origins, of the beginnings of man and of the universe and everything that follows. And God gave it through Moses, his chosen servant to record it under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he's preserved it right down through the centuries to where we still have it before us today. It is authoritative in what it says. It is complete and final in its truth. I made this statement for you to try to hang on to. It's just a little thing that will help you to remember. If 
the Bible is authoritative at all, then it is authoritative in all. If it's authoritative at all, it's authoritative in all. If it's authoritative in anything, then it's authoritative in everything. It can't be authoritative and be wrong. You can't have it that way. People want to pick and choose the parts that they want, the parts that they believe, and put away the rest. You can't have it that way. If God will lie to you in one place, how can you believe any of it? It's vital. It's vital to our faith that the authority of our faith is found in God and is found in God's word and not in man's. Now, I don't say this critical, but I say to you this. There is an awful lot of crazy stuff going on out there in the name of the Lord because of coming back to man's authority instead of God's authority. It doesn't matter if it goes against the word of God. It doesn't matter if it lines up with God. I'm saying to you folks that once you introduce man into the formula, you have error. There are none of us that are without error. There are none of us that can't make it wrong. That's why our faith has to stand totally and completely. You say, yep, yeah, but preacher, they all say it's based on the word of God. And they do. But when the Bible says it in black and white, they say, I don't know of any Christian that wouldn't say that they believe in the authority of God's word. But yet they don't take all of God's word as authoritative. Folks, that doesn't make sense. You can't have it that way. God gives us an accurate, reliable account of what he's done for us. If we dismiss any part of the Genesis account as myth, if we deem it to be inaccurate in any way, I'm saying to you, we begin to undermine the very foundation of all that we believe. We begin to diminish the authority of God's word. The Genesis account is where the authority begins and it follows through to the very last word in God's word. If it is authoritative at all, it is authoritative in all. The Genesis account. It's where the word of God, it's where the authority of God's word begins. It's where the, the foundation is laid for all of Scripture. Once that authority is established in Genesis, it's also the beginning, the foundation for the rest of what God has for us. You see, I'm saying to you, go back and listen to the word of God, the authority of his word, its foundation is based upon the Genesis account. That's where it begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Do you believe it or do you don't? If you can't believe the first verse, then why bother reading the rest of it? If you can't take the first verse as authoritative, don't worry about reading anything else. You see, it not only is the foundation for the authority of God's word. But we said, secondly, it is the foundation for the assertion of God's existence. How can we assert? How can we say dogmatically, without doubt, without question, that God exists? We just read in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, 
God in the beginning. What beginning? The beginning of everything that is temporal, that is material of the world that we see. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, the starting point of all that we see is our earth and is our universe. In the beginning, it was the beginning of what we try to, to see and visualize and take in as far as we can see out there. You see, once we have the authority of God's word, God's word never, ever attempts to defend or explain God's existence. <laughs> the existence of God is asserted in the very first verse. It is a fact that is unquestionable. It is accepted and it is believed by faith if you believe him. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God was already there. In the beginning of everything else, God was the one there that created everything else. Many things could be said about the foundation that's laid there in the very first verse of the Bible. But I want you to notice just a few things. In the very first verse, it shows us the eternal existence of God. It shows us his omnipotent power. It shows us the first cause that many are so desperately seeking for. It shows us the creator of everything that exists, the existence of a personal living God and much, for, much more in the beginning God created. In the beginning God, Elohim is the Hebrew word there. We go into a lot of things, but basically Elohim is a plural word. But it's followed by a singular word. In the beginning God, plural Created singular. So, well, why would that make any sense? Because even in the very first verse of the Bible, the foundation was already being laid for the triune God that we know as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He was there in his fullness. God, Elohim, the plurality of God. God was there. And of course, as we read on, we see that happening. We see the Spirit moving. But I'm saying to you that that foundation is laid right there. The assertion, the Genesis account in the very first verse begins with the assertion of God's existence. In the beginning, in the beginning, in the start, in the origins of everything, God. God was the one that was on the spot. God was the one that was there. An eternal, the existent God. One God eternally existent in three persons. That one single verse separates Scripture from all human productions of history and philosophy and science that have ever been written. Their highest point, some atomic explosion somewhere. Our highest point, a triune God that created everything from nothing. If the foundation be destroyed... What can the righteous do? Folks, I'm saying we've got to be serious about this. I know, I know there are those within that have snuck in unawares that will try to tear down and destroy the faith once for all delivered in this book right here to the saints. I know 
that there are those without that will try to impose what they call their science, their knowledge, but it's falsely so called because it doesn't take into consideration. You say, preacher, why do they think it took so many years? You know, why do they struggle with an earth? You know, why do they have to make it millions and billions of years old? When they look at something and they say, well, the fossils prove it and this proves it. Well, if they'd read the Bible, they'd find out. <laughs> they'd find out. You take that creation. But first of all, God created it in six days. Yes, the morning and the evening were the first day. The morning, some people say that day wasn't a 24-hour day. Well, the morning and the evening were that day. The morning and the evening. It says that in every one of them. You know, I'm not sure how many days you can get between one morning and one evening. But then God said it, see. We'll, we'll look at that in a second. But, but the thing that I want you to grasp is this. When you take God out of the equation, that's why that 99.9% .9 of it has to be extinct. That's why that it takes billions and billions of years because they've got to spread this thing out to make it even possibly happen, which still is impossible with all of their hypothesis. It just isn't possible, but it looks like it. God created a mature earth. You know, he didn't even, when he created Adam and Eve, he didn't create them as infants that needed a mom and dad to take care of them. They were created as adults. When he created the Garden of Eden, it was there. It was bearing fruit. It had everything there. That mature earth, it was totally flooded with water. Try putting that much weight on something for 40 days and see what difference it makes underneath it. <laughs> the truth is that the Genesis account is the foundation for the authority of God's word. It's the foundation for the assertion that God exists. That's where it starts, in the beginning, God. And we said finally, or thirdly, that it's the foundation for the absoluteness of God's creation. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. In the beginning, God, that was already there. He created the heaven and the earth. The eternally existent triune God literally brought into existence the heaven and the earth, all the temporal material universe that exists. And I chose that word absoluteness very carefully, not just because it started with an A to match my others. You know what the definition for absoluteness is out of the dictionary? Free from imperfection, complete, perfect, not mixed or adulterated, outright. In other words, God and God alone is responsible for the act of creation. God's act of creation was complete. It was perfect. It wasn't mixed with anything else like evolution or anything else. It was done outright by him, by his power, through the power of his word, with no outside assistance from anyone. In the beginning, God, Elohim, God, the triune God created. Do you know? that the word that's translated created there in your, in your Bible, not only is it a single act, as I mentioned before, but it's the word bara in Hebrew. And it is only ever used, even in God's word all the way through, it's only ever used when God 
is the subject. <laughs> Nobody else can do what that word says. God created. It's a word that can be used exclusively for the act of creation that can be carried out by God alone. It's never used anywhere else for anything else. In the beginning, God alone created the heaven and the earth. The entire material universe as we see it. Preacher, that's asking a lot. Well, let me tell you this. It's not asking near as much as for you to get me to believe that it's a little tiny speck of something that nobody knows where it came from that blew up and has still been expanding all this time and it came from nothing and you're saying it's hard to believe what I accept from God's word? You see, God said in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, the entire, all that exists in the earth and the heavens. Throughout the remainder of Genesis, throughout chapter 1 here on the creation, God records for us precisely how he formed, how he filled this universe. You know what? And God said, all six days of creation begin with those exact words. The act of God. God created. God was the only one. It was an act that only he could do. How did he do it? God said. It was activated. It was set into motion when God spoke his word. Everything began with God speaking. And when God spoke, he spoke a precise command with absolute authority in every case. Let there be. That's the words that's used everywhere. When he's brought something out of nothing. Or let them, or let thee, when he took something like the waters of the earth and he brought something out of something else that was he had already created before that, let us make man. Let us, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God speaks of himself as us in his triune fullness, make man in our own image. Each act of creation, God spoke it. God gave a direct command. And then it was God himself that affirmed that it was accomplished in every place. And there was, and it was so. Every time what God spoke, God spoke directly and it happened. Chapter 1, verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Everything God created, by speaking his word, a direct command, bringing it to be what he wanted it to be, behold, it was very good. It was exceedingly good. It was beautiful and perfect just as God planned it to be. God. Speaking authoritatively, just as we have the authority of his word still today. Speaking precisely every act of creation. It being accomplished just as he commanded. Him being pleased with all that he had done. 
And at the same time that he did it all, he was establishing for us the pattern. We talked about that. When God rested on the seventh day, that word rested didn't mean that he, oh, man, he was just wore out. He had worked so hard. <laughs> he rested. He ceased. He ceased his work. It was all finished. It was all complete. And he set before us the pattern of the seven days. The evening and the morning were the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. On the seventh day, he rested. If we accept the authority of God's word, if we accept the Genesis account, declares that God in his triune being created everything that exists from nothing, it further declares that he did it in a six literal days, rested on the seventh. His work was complete, perfect, not mixed with anything else like evolution. He accomplished it outright by his power alone, through his spoken word, with no assistance from anyone. I ask you again, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? If Genesis laid the foundation for those three doctrines alone, it would be sufficient to show us the importance of God's book of origins, how fundamental that it is to the faith that we hold dear. In fact, I say to you clearly, that if those foundational truths are removed, nothing else I say really matters anyway. Without them, no one anywhere can ever have a relationship with God that one that created us and sustains us. Because you see, the first step that anybody's got to take in resolving that vital question of where we came from and How's it all going to end is the fact of coming to grip with God's existence, that God is. If we take God away, everything else crumbles, folks. Hebrews eleven six says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. There is absolutely no way that you can go to God unless you believe that God is there and that he's going to pay attention to you, that he's going to give you a hearing. If you're seriously, diligently seeking him. You see, the Christian faith, coming to God, begins with the simple faith of believing that he is, of believing that God exists, that he can be found, and that he has himself told us how to do that in his word. Of course, nature itself, if it's honestly examined, should resolve the matter of God's existence. <laughs> The Bible even says itself, the man is without excuse because of what the heavens declare. We find that in Romans chapter 1, I give you this verse in closing this morning. You got to realize there's a lot more I could say and there's a lot more I'd like to say even. But I'm trying. 
I'm trying. If you're here and you've been a part of this, I hope and pray that it just reminds you of some of those truths. And if you didn't hear them and you want to go back and you want to hear these things explained more fully, then please do so. But in Romans chapter 1, notice what it says beginning in verse 18. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. God's wrath against those that hold his word not to be right. Okay? Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. In other words, listen, if you want to prefer to believe in that primordial soup, that atomic explosion, those billions of billions of years that there's nothing left to show it, You'll give an answer to God one day. God has told you the truth. He's told you the right way. He's given you the answer. And he says, you're without excuse because it's there. He says, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, even though he was there. They wouldn't glorify him. They wouldn't give him his rightful place. They weren't thankful for what he had done for them or give them, but he says they became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Vain in their imaginations. They're believing useless things, things that have no basis to them. And their hearts, as a result, have become darkened. He says professing themselves to be wise, they became fools that Influence that science falsely so-called. They profess themselves to be wise, but in fact, they've become fools, he says, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. In other words, the world wants to bring God down to their level. The world wants to bring God to a position that they can explain what he did and why he did it and how they did it. They can explain their existence in their own way. Folks, you can't do that with God. I'm saying to you today, these are very simple truths, but you can either believe them or not to believe them. You see, if you're here today, if you haven't, accepted his existence, if you haven't accepted he is your creator, if you haven't accepted the authority of his word that he has communicated to you, then there's no way that by faith you're going to seek him out and you're going to find him. <laughs> You'll be like one of those that we read about in Rome with their vain imaginations, their foolish thoughts. Not because God wants it. Never, ever, ever even go there. God made you from nothing. 
God knew you were going to mess up, you were going to sin, you were going to bring death into what he created to live forever. That's why before we even read in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, in the beginning of all that we see and know, in the beginning God that already was there created everything that we know. But the Bible says even before the foundation was laid there, he already had a plan to send Jesus Christ for you. I can't make you believe that. I can't force you to believe that. You make a choice. I do know this, that it's not God's will for you to perish. God, by his love and his grace, has maybe tried to get through to you in all kinds of ways because he loves you. He chose you. But you're without excuse. You'll either believe or not believe. You'll accept it or you reject it. I can't change the truth. I can only give it to you as God has given it to us. But what will you do with it today? You see, right now, every one of us here, there's really only two positions that I wish that all of us could be in. What I'd really like is for all of us to know without any shadow of a doubt that I've accepted my sinfulness and I've accepted I can't do anything about it, but I've accepted that Jesus Christ did it for me. I wish that we could all know with absolute certainty that we've asked for God's forgiveness, not because of who we are or what we can do or can't do, but because of what Jesus Christ did do for us. God has promised He's promised that if we'll confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's promised that all that come to him, he will in no wise cast away. He won't cast you out. So today, my first hope is that you're here as a child of God. You know that you've accepted his forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And that these things will just remind you and encourage you and strengthen you that, yes, there might be those that would sneak in through the religious channels within the churches. There may be those from without that are declaring all of their knowledge, but you have God's word on it. Believe him and trust him and stand on it and contend for it. Don't be caught up in being fooled by their foolishness. Or if you're here today and you don't know that, well, I sure wish you wouldn't put it off another day. You see, there, no, it's not a magic thing. It's not what we can do for you as a church. It's not what you can do for the church. It's not some act that you go through to become a Christian. Oh, yes, we would love to pray with you. We'd love to take God's word and answer any questions. I promise you that if you've got questions and it has to do with your spiritual life, it doesn't matter what I think or what anybody else here thinks. We want to be able to take the authority of God's word and say, that's what God says. And if you're here today, I hope that you won't put it off another day, that today, today, you would come to put your faith in the one that died on Calvary for you, the one that was right there in the beginning. In the beginning, God created in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. God's done it for you.
Father, we thank you today. And Lord, I know that, Lord, the hours and just going back and reviewing these, I know, Lord, that I've just skipped over so many things, but I hope and pray, Lord, that you'd help us to be reminded, Lord, of what a glorious truth that you've given us in your book of origins to help us to understand, to help us to know, to help us to be built upon the solid foundation. God, I don't know a heart here today. You know me. Lord, if there was something I could do or some way that I could do it, I would do it, but I can't. I'm just a, a, a very, very simple man that have nothing but, but your word. But, Father, I pray that your spirit would take and use your word to speak to their hearts today. It's not what I say or what I can do. It's what you can do and what you will do for them. Help them, Lord, not to put it off. Help them this day to be willing to step out and say, no, I'm trusting in Jesus Christ. In Christ's name we pray, amen.